Well, folks, it's great to be here, and thanks for asking me. It's, it's really strange, really. I don't know if you know, but uh, I, I used to run these things uh, years ago, and uh, I've lost my notes, but don't worry about it. Here they are, that's right. And uh, it's great to be back. The last time I was in a forward house party was the night that Lady Diana died, so it tells you how long ago that was. And uh, um, that's been, it's been really great to come back and see you. And I'm going to take on a book, and I just, before I do, really want to sort of talk about, um, as it were, rules of engagement. Uh, and they're very simple. That, that when you can, if you come in here, as Joe said earlier, uh, please listen. Um, I, I hope I'll say something useful, relevant, helpful, uh, challenging, because I do really believe that. And that is that Revelation, which is the book I'm going to be looking at during these sessions with you, uh, is a book for the 21st century. It, it actually fits. It actually has something to say. Uh, I believe it's life-changing. I've done a fair bit of study on it in the last year and preached it a few times, and, and, uh, and I've come to love it. And it, it's, it's a book that traditionally people avoid because they say it's got so many difficult questions. It's got so many hard things in it, so many difficult sort of images and ideas that it's best left on one side. Well, I want to challenge that very deeply with you, because you, you, you guys aren't daft. Uh, you can think. And, and therefore, I'm going to encourage you to think. And the rules of engagement are quite simple. Listen to me for a wee while. Uh, if there's a question that you have, and you come and ask me, I will try and answer it. If I don't know, I've got about a dozen books in my car, and uh, I'll try and find the answer before the following session. But please ask anything you like. It's, it's a book that I believe uh, is difficult at times, um, but I believe so much that for, for right now, because to be a Christian today is not easy, is it? Outside of this wonderful atmosphere that you're in here and you have fun together and you know the sort of code and the way fun works here. And you know you feel comfortable, you feel at ease. Outside of here, when you face the world and the culture that we live in. Uh, it ain't quite so easy to be a Christian. Uh, and I would almost stake my life on the fact that one or two of you guys, once you're out of here, say, I'll stick my Christianity on one side. And the fact that I happen to be a follower of Jesus, uh, I, I will kind of shove over there because it doesn't suit me to let that out in public. Now, what I want you to understand is, is just a little bit about this. Can I, if you've got a Bible, I hope you bring your Bibles. Please bring your Bibles, guys, uh, because I, I need to read bits from it. And, I, and I'm going to read the, chap, the first chapter, if I may. So just get your Bibles open, and I'm just going to read this fantastic piece of writing and then give you a few bits. It won't be terribly long tonight, um, and we'll do some stuff that I hope will help you understand the book. But just listen up if you haven't got your Bible here. But chapter 1, Revelation, last book of the Bible, dead easy to find. Let me just read it to you, if I may. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart, what is written in it. Because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is, who was, and who is to come. From the seven spirits before his throne, from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. 
to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned round to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, with a golden sash round his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of running waters. In his right hand he held the seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore what you've seen, what is now, and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Now I'm going to make a statement to you just to try and help you see uh, what this book and how this book is written. Now, this statement may mean absolutely nothing to you. Uh, You may pick it up straight away if you know what I'm talking about. The statement is this. Listen carefully. I will say this only once. The post box is just behind an old army camp on a piece of high ground. Does that statement mean anything to anybody? I'll read it again. The post box is just beyond an old army camp on a piece of high ground. Now that statement was in English. You heard it, you kind of got it, but you can't interpret it. Because you don't know what I'm talking about. I'll fill you in if if you really want to know. If you go above Oakhampton and go walking up on Dartmoor, there is actually a post box in the middle of Dartmoor, which if you go beyond an army camp, you come to after two miles of walking on the moor. Now, if I'd have said that to my wife, who's been there, she would have known exactly what I was talking about. Because the language and the idea would have been familiar. Now, that is what apocalyptic stuff is all about. 
That's the style. This is where it happened. On the island of Patmos. There it is. You might recognise one or two of the islands around the place. Patmos is there. It's stuck off in the, in the sea there. Uh, and those are the Turkish islands. Let's have a look what it looks like. That's what it looks like today. It's a, a tourist place. You can see a little boat come in there. You can get a boat from Ephesus and go out to it. it it's a real place. John was in a real place. Now, on the one, Gareth, next, please. It's, you can see, touristy, little castle, very nice, very picturesque view, um, very nice place to go to. Go on a bit, please. There it is in the kind of collection of all the, the sort of Greek islands that many people go to. But the next thing's important, and that is the idea of what was going on at the time. And you've got to see this to understand it. That's the Emperor Domitian. Um, the date's there, the date he lived. He actually came to power in AD 81. That was when he became uh, the emperor. Now, I've got a little... You can turn this up on a website if you really want to. But just to get some idea of what this guy was like. Um, Domitian, it says, in my little website that I looked at, was determined to equal the military achievements of his predecessors. He wanted to be known as a conqueror. And then it says this. By, by all accounts, Domitian appears to have been a thoroughly nasty person, rarely polite, insolent, arrogant, and cruel. He was a tall man with large eyes, though weak sight, and showing all the signs of someone drunk with power, he preferred to be addressed as Dominus et Deus, Master and God. And he was very much in the cult of the emperor, king, god. Now, if you're that, the one thing you don't want to hear is that there's another god. And if as a Christian in the first century that you're living in, and you've been following Jesus Christ, Paul's been dead about 20 years, so the churches that Paul established are all kind of kicking along and, and going reasonably well. And this guy comes along and says, anybody who names God apart from me, will get sorted. You'll get a knock on the door. Somebody, as I once witnessed in Turkey, when I was in a church in Turkey near Bodrum, this person just came in and sort of looked around. And he checked up that there were some faces around the place. And he walked out again. And that's what happened in the missions day. If you were a Christian, you were a marked man or woman. Some guys ended up with a piece of netting a bit like half a football goal and a lion coming at them. And that would be at the end of a knock on the door saying, would you mind coming down to the forum or to the area where the games were held? And because you are a Christian... I stood in the Colosseum at Rome, and there is a simple wooden cross where many of my brothers and sisters, who one day I will meet in heaven, died because they believed in Jesus. And he was really the first guy that kicked it off. And, and in that kind of way then, what, what we need, you see, at that point, guys, is, is you desperately need to know that there's hope, there's future, there's purpose. You need to know that something's worth living for. You need to know that, that this is not in vain. 
If I get gored up by a lion, it's, it's, it's not in vain, it's not purposeless, it's not futile. Uh, and so they, they sent these messages out, you see, in, in, the, um, in the way that they did, in the, this apocalyptic literature. Just next slide, Gareth, if you would. That, that, that was done so that you'd get the message, you'd understand it, and you'd say, yeah, it, it is real. Most of the images, I've got a sheet here, if any of you want it, it's much more detailed than I can do tonight, of all the images that are here in this passage that come across. Let me take you to the passage, because I want to just take you through this as I finish tonight. The revelation, that word, verse 1, if you're following me, is the apocalypse word. It's the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. The revelation. You see, God is... Guys, God is not in the business of being secretive. He's a revelatory God. He says, I want to I show myself to you. I want you to hear about me. So the revelation, the apocalypse of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants what must soon take place. There is going to be future hope. If you commit your life to Christ at this house party... And you haven't yet. You have the best hope that you could possibly have. Think about it. And this is what must soon take place. He made it by sending his angel to his servant. So God spoke through John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and of Jesus Christ. He's not testifying about what he believes, what he thinks. As Joe quite rightly said, the focus of what we're doing this week is the word of God. Now, the testimony of Jesus Christ, blessed is the one, that includes you, who reads these words and takes it to heart. My dear friends, please don't muck about with the Word of God. What is in this book is not me making it up. This is God speaking to you because he loves you. He has a message for you, has something to say to you about your life, about your future, about your relationships, about what you will do with the rest of your life. God has something to say to you. He wants to get through to you. And so he says, John, to the seven churches, we'll deal more with the seven churches idea tomorrow morning. Grace and peace to you who was and is, and this is the great refrain of Revelation, who is to come, the God who is everywhere. If, if you can imagine... This room is the complete timeline, going from the very beginning of the world to the very end of time. There is never a moment from there to there where God isn't. All right? He is the Alpha, the beginning, comes later, and the Omega, that's verse 4, verse 8, I'm sorry. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come. What's your hope for your life? Johnny was asked that question, wasn't he, in a kind of slightly roundabout way, but he got there in the end. What what, what do you hope for? The hope for the Christian is that one day we will be with Christ. And that in the time before that happens, that we will live with him in the power of his spirit and and in a way that pleases him, in the way that serves him. Look at you. 
Look at you lot here. I used to say this when I was youth leader at Forward. Look at the potential of you lot going home full of Jesus Christ, passionate about his word, passionate about the gospel, passionate about changing people that you come in touch with, who you can see are not living Christian lives. Oh, I, I honestly, just, just get a grip of this, guys, will you? And let's put that up as a sort of marker at the beginning of the week, that if this marvellous group of people, leaders included, went home to workplaces, to colleges, to schools, and said, as Joshua said, as for me, I will serve the Lord. The impact is huge. So that's what it is. And then he goes on, and he goes on in quite a a fantastic way, and with this I must finish because time is going. Just follow with me through nine. I, John, your brother and companion in suffering the kingdom, the patient endurance that Arras was on the island of Patmos. We've seen that already, and he's he's told to write it down. Now, verse 12, I turned round to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned round, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle was someone like the Son of Man. Now, when Christians are struggling, keep going, um, they needed to hear good news when times are tough. What does God do? Does he say the East Ender solution? You know the East Ender solution? It's all right, mate. Have a cup of tea and everything will be fine. You know, that's the East Ender's way out of it. Don't worry, love. You know, Pat dies. You know, we have a week when we all go, meh, you know, and then Pat, who's Pat? She's gone, forget about it. There was once in Neighbours, uh, do you remember, probably some of you don't remember this, Jim. Do you remember Jim? Anyone remember Jim in Neighbours? Yeah, Jim? Yeah. This is absolutely true. Jim dies in Neighbours, right? Two episodes later, he is never again mentioned. That's typical, isn't it? You know, if you lose somebody, you cry for two days. What a load of rubbish. It's not like that. That's not the answer. The answer is to look and to see in amongst the seven lampstands where Christians are dwelling, to see one like the Son of Man. Who on earth is that? John saw Jesus. Someone who looked and he saw that it was the Son of Man. You may not be able to work this out yet in your life, but can I really encourage you to experiment with this? When I became a Christian, I thought I was going to get asked this tonight, so I had a kind of answer ready, but you can ask me another night, Sean, if you like. I became a Christian because I couldn't make sense of a world in which somebody comes, dies, and then rises from the dead. And the lady who spoke to me about it, I I found it really difficult because she was so convinced that this Jesus who once was dead and is now alive, and Revelation 1 says that, uh, was real today. And I said, okay, Jesus, if that's the deal, I'll I'll work on it. 
Now, that lady I gave the great privilege of becoming my wife at a later date, which I think is an enormous privilege for her. Um, but there, there we go. Um, but that, that was another, another story. But she challenged me. She said, you know, what do you feel about this guy who, who once was eternal back then, who is, lived on the planet, and who will be forevermore? And, and this is what John is seeing here. Now, there's one or two. Son of Man is a Messiah figure. It's in Daniel. Daniel 7.10, if you want to refer to it. He had, look at it with me, a robe with a golden sash. That's almost certainly a priestly adornment. That's a priestly garment. His head and hair were white. That symbolizes wisdom. His eyes were blazing. Do you know what that means? His eyes were blazing means that when he looked, he purifies. He purifies. And when you go to the next bit, you see feet like bronze. You see an unshakable foundation. You have a voice like rushing water. That's powerful. And you have the right hand holding the seven stars. That right hand is a symbol of nobility. Got all this down if you want the sheet. And in his hand... He holds the church, the seven stars. So what John saw was a Messiah who was our priest, the one who could link us with God, who was wise, hair white, who was purifying, eyes blazing, who was unshakable, feet like bronze, voice like rushing water, powerful, noble, right hand, holding me and you the church and and John is is really saying look when you get that knock on the door to go to the gladiators stuff that Jesus will be with you when you get that temptation to go to a party and do something that you wish you hadn't ever done that Jesus is right there with you When you get that temptation to go too far in a sexual relationship, that Jesus is right there with you. He's holding you. Because he loves you so much. And as I read this book, as I've read this book several times in the last year, I I see a Jesus who, who just desperately does not want to let me go. Because he loves me so passionately. And all those pictures, you see how easy it is once you get into it, the images, all right, you think, oh, what are they all about? It doesn't take you long to find out what they are. When I saw this, verse 17, I fell at his feet as though dead. Oh, God, you are an amazing God. And what does he say? (laughs) It's beautiful, this, isn't it? It's absolutely beautiful. I I say to him, oh Lord, I'm not worthy. And I feel this hand on my head. And he looks me straight in the eye and he says, Dave, do not be afraid. I'm your saviour, I'm your Lord, I love you. Do not be afraid. Uh, And my friends, tonight, I, I say it to you not because it's my great idea, but because I believe Jesus is saying to you tonight that as you learn 
perhaps a little bit more about Jesus this week and you think, oh, I ought to go deeper into this, I ought to get into this stuff. We meet the God who is... One more, one more, one more, more. that's it. Got there in the end, Gareth, sorry. Um, the God who is there, right in the middle. My question to you as we close is this. Is it, is it actually true that Jesus is right in the middle of your life. He was in the middle of the lampstands. He was the centerpiece that John saw with all those images of power and might and strength and stability and love. Is he the center of what you are? Does everything go through the Jesus filter? Do you always ask, would this please my Lord? Would this be the right thing to do for him and for his glory? Can I serve him better? Joe's already reminded you tonight, and I would thoroughly endorse it. I used to say something so similar to that. Just learn to love each other. We had a house party in our youth group, and uh, we, we used a, a slightly different word, but we, it's an old-fashioned word, but we, we told the young people, look, this week we're going to cherish each other. We're going to value each other. Not just love because I've got to love, but love because the other person is worth loving. Cherish them. And I think what John is saying here, quite simply to us, is this. Now look, do not be afraid. Why, says Jesus? I am the first and the last. There's the end points again. I am the living one. I was dead... Behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. I I know when people are going to die and when they're not. And I know who's going to heaven and not going to go to heaven. I hold those keys, Jesus says. Write, therefore, what you've seen. What is now and what will take place. And whatever you're facing in your life, and maybe things will come out this week with your family and There are things in my family which are not as I would like them to be. And I wish they were different. We all have those things, don't we? Things that we'd love to change. Pressures that we face. uh, Temptations that we battle with. We've all got them. Jesus says, look, I am there. I love you. I have plans for your life famous verse in Jeremiah plans to prosper you not to harm you says the Lord and I will never let you go I hold you in my hand and tomorrow morning we're going to see if you get a chance to read tonight in amongst all the shinding in your little rooms uh, read the second and third chapter if you get a chance just to see what God says about his church and we'll see where we go from there can we pray is that okay just before we finish Let's bow our heads. Father, at the start of our time together, we we thank you so much that we meet here in the name of Jesus Christ, who chooses by his own will to reveal himself. He is the apocalypse, the revealer. And he wants to show us what he's like, 
what the future holds. He wants to to show us his character, his love, his grace, his tenderness, and yes, his judgment, his discipline. But he wishes us grace and peace. And that means he wants the best for us. And Lord, I so pray that this crew, great crew together for this week, will just be touched not by any eloquence or any other rubbish like that, but simply by the power of God's word in the power of the Spirit. And that we will see lives change, lives which are on tick over, autopilot at the moment, which ain't going nowhere, will come alive in the life of the one and only Jesus. Please, Lord, do it for your glory, for your church's sake, uh, and that we might give you the glory at the end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.